Hello and welcome back on Andres Medical Podcast Show. So today we actually have got quite an interesting topic. Um, we are going to be doing menopause. It's triggers to start a complicated system. Quite an interesting topic, I think. So, just like in my previous blog titled, The Triggers That Start Puberty, demonstrate that puberty is a natural hormone process that we all cannot escape. Well, menopause is also a natural hormonal process that women cannot escape. It is the end cycle of fertility. Where puberty started, menopause will end it. But some question arises. How does the body know when to start the process towards being menopausal? What starts it and what are the factors? What speeds it up or slows it down? And can we escape from it? I think many women out there would love to have the answers to that and uh, have a cure maybe to not becoming menopausal because we always hear um, on our counterparts always telling us how um, horrible it is to be menopausal. I mean, my mom definitely uh, complain about her being menopausal. So, there are many articles and blogs where rich writers, mostly women, talk about how to relieve menopause side effects or how to deal with the transition of this new process. This blog, however, will speak about how it starts at a hormonal level and a cellular level. I will demonstrate histology slides of the ovaries to show how it changes over time from puberty to being menopausal. And I will explain the normal hormone cycle versus the menopausal hormone cycle. I will also touch on different treatments that alleviate the symptoms of becoming menopausal. It is a very interesting transition and an important one in a woman's life where every woman deals with it differently, physically and psychologically. I think just like puberty, it should be embraced. But maybe it is easy to say, especially since I'm not a woman. <laughs> So let's start with the basics. What is menopause? Menopause is clinically diagnosed after 12 months of amenorrhea, which means not being able to have a menses and ovulate, as it is the permanent cessation of the menstruation cycle, as well as the inability to ovulate, hence the cessation of the ovarian cycle. At the hormonal level, it is the withdrawal of estrogen over a long period of time. The average year of a woman being menopausal is around 51 years old, and the normal range is between 45 to 55 years old. It is found that maternal genetics predicts the daughter's age of when they are going to be menopausal. Regarding to smoking, there has been links towards being menopausal earlier than average. There's a lot of uncertainties nonetheless. The Cigarette Smoking and Risk of Early Natural Menopause by the American Journal of Epidemiology does highlight that smoking increases the chance of being menopausal earlier than non-smokers. The perimenopause, which is the transition to menopause, occurs around the mid-40s but can start as early as 35 years of age. The perimenopause transition is important regarding the changes in hormones level and the change in the ovary structures. So, at a non-menopausal hormonal level, what happens? We need to know the normal hormonal level in a woman that is not menopausal and compared to a woman who is perimenopausal and menopausal. Figure 1 demonstrates the normal chain event in a woman who is not menopausal. 
The negative and positive feedback are working at the sensitive and normal range, and the hormone concentration should be normal. The search center should be sensitive to positive feedback and work as normal when ovulation occurs. In short, when the gonadotropin-releasing hormones is released from the hypothalamus, it will act on the posterior pituitary gland. This will release the follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. LH, so in short, luteinizing hormone is LH. LH will act on the thecal cells to release androgens and FSH, which is follicle-stimulating hormone, we work on the granulosa cells for the conversions of androgens to estrogens, as well as releasing inhibin, a hormone that inhibits the release of GnRH and FSH only. GnRH, remember, it's gonadotropin-releasing hormone. FSH recruits, stimulates, and matures the ovarian follicle, whereas LH helps in support from the thecal cells. In other words, FSH and LH are important in the growth and development of a mature follicle, but FSH will be inhibited by both estrogen and inhibin. Estrogen concentration also inhibits the release of GnRH, FSH, and LH in a normal uh, negative feedback. All these figures can be found in the blog called Menopause, its triggers to start a complicated system if you need visual uh, help. So, once the follicle reaches the mature tertiary states, or antral state, there is a huge positive feedback on the surge center created by a high amount of estrogen being released from the mature follicle. What is interesting is that estrogen acts in the negative feedback, meaning that more estrogen, less follicle-stimulating hormone FSH, and luteinizing hormone LH, and hence less estrogen. But that is not the case. Yes, there is a negative feedback, however, the more the single dominant follicle grows and mature, the more estrogen it is releasing, as more androgens are being released from the thecal cells, and there is more androgens conversion to estrogen. This will go on until there is a, a reached estrogen threshold, and a sudden massive positive feedback is initiated, and a huge LH surge is released. The pressure of the mature follicle, the increase in hormone such as LH, and the weakened wall of the follicle will rupture and ovulation occurs. Meanwhile, even though FSH is inhibited twice from estrogen and inhibin, FSH also rises just like LH, but far less in concentration. Here are some definitions. Negative feedback, which means the diminution of an effect by its own influence, such as a high level of hormone A, will cause a loop that will prevent further secretion of hormone A. Positive feedback, the enhancing of or implication of an effect by its own influence, such as a baby suckling on its mother, will cause the mother to release more milk. A follicle, a follicle has a life cycle where it starts with primary follicle and goes all the way to tertiary follicle, mature antral follicle. At this stage, you can see the intro follicle named as mature follicle. In the middle of the follicle, notice the oocyte or the egg. The oocyte will meet with the sperm later on. We now have done what is the normal. So let's look at the abnormal, which is actually normal to be menopausal. At a menopausal hormone level, what happens? Well, before we get there, 
It is important to note that a woman is born with all her oocytes, or eggs, follicles that has potential to develop into a mature egg, and then fertilized with a spermatozoid, which is about a million to two million oocytes at birth. By puberty, there is about 300,000 oocytes, and by menopause, it is almost completely depleted through atresia and natural breakdown. Menopause is a depletion of estrogen from a normal level to a really low level. Primarily, it is due to the depletion of the finite pool of follicle. Remember, by puberty there's only 300,000 follicles. It is frustrating as there's nothing that can be done from depleting the oocyte reserves. If you're following on the blog, you can see in figure 3 below, shows the different concentration of estrogen and the peaks of estrogen release which is mainly from normal ovulation. At menopause, the estrogen level does not rise as high as it used to be and is a lot less frequent. So in order to keep your estrogen level normal, you need eggs and oocytes and a reserve. But when you're becoming menopausal, that reserve gets depleted, hence you have a low level of estrogen. In figure six below, it is the comparison of FSH and LH between a non-menopausal woman and a menopausal woman. Remember that follicle produce inhibin that suppresses the release of FSH and also acts negatively on the hypothalamus. Estrogen also has that effect, hence why FSH in a non-menopausal woman is lower than LH. Removing estrogen and inhibin will remove the double inhibition on FSH, hence that is what happening in a menopausal woman. So, in A, low FSH and LH, and in B, high FSH and LH, with FSH being a lot higher than LH. There's almost four times more LH and about 12 more times more FSH than in a non-menopausal woman. If you have a look in figure seven, being menopausal, the estrogen in yellow is elevated and FSH in pink and LH are low. However, do you notice that FSH does increase before estrogen decrease? This is strange as FSH gets inhibited twice by the estrogen N inhibit. Remember that FSH should not even be higher than LH levels at all. So what causes the FSH and LH to increase before estrogen decreases? Since estrogen keeps that negative feedback, which is tightly regulated, and the FSH concentration in order. It is suggested that the hypothalamus somehow is losing response to the negative feedback, which is similar to puberty when it loses sensitivity to estrogen and testosterone for the first time, which develops those secondary sex characteristics. Or the hypothalamus, an anterior pituitary gland, somehow gets more resistant to the FSH concentration and later to the LH concentration. So what causes the hypothalamus to being less sensitive and what external factors can affect the sensitivity loss? Is genetics involved? Most probably. So many questions that we cannot answer. We just know that somehow a loss of sensitivity or resistance gain occurs and that different hormones are starting to increase. An additional cause is the age-related changes in the central nervous system 
and the hypothalamic pituitary unit may also contribute to menopause, such as the circadian oscillator change, where there is a decrease in melatonin secretion during the night and after sleep. This could decrease the sensitivity of hypothalamic pituitary axis to the steroid. Negative feedback. Those steroids are obviously FSH, LH, and estrogen. This could be the reason for gradual rise in FSH and LH prior to the estrogen decline. So, some definitions. Circadian cycle. Your circadian rhythm is a 24-hour internal clock that is running in the background of your brain and cycles between sleepness and alertness at regular interval. It is also known as your sleep and wake cycle. If you have joined me with my blog and having a look at the figures, we can now see the histology slides of a woman that is non-menopausal, such as figure 8. If you look at figure 8, this is an active ovary. Um, there are several tertiary antral follicular stages. That is good, that's what we want to see. And there are many small follicles that are present at the primary and secondary stages. They will later become tertiary stage and then later ovulate. If you have a look at figure 9, this is a, a slide of an ovary from a perimenopausal woman. And you can see it's becoming a little bit more atrophied. There's a little bit less tertiary um, stages. And if you look at figure 10, you can see it's completely depleted. This shows a menopausal ovary. Most of the medulla is filled with corpora ablicensia. It is what's after the corpus luteum. There is also atrophy of the ovary. No tertiary follicles. There is no more recruitment of follicles and follicle reserves should be completely depleted. Hence, anovulation occurs and that is the lack of ovulating. So, symptoms of menopause. Now that we know which hormones are in a constant excess, which is LH and FSH, and which hormones are in a constant deficit, that is estrogen, inhibin, and progesterone, we can link it to the side effects menopause creates on the human body. Most women will definitely relate to these symptoms and try to adjust their lifestyle to decrease some common side effects and live on with their lives. Others might use medication or supplements to prevent some symptoms or to decrease the current symptoms. The symptoms of being in the menopausal transitions are and is, are mainly due to having less than normal estrogen concentration, menstrual irregularities, hot flashes, mood disturbances, atrophy or reproductive tract of breast, bone changes, and cardiovascular change. The most concerning ones are the increased risk of osteoporosis, 50% vertebrae and 20% of hip fractures, and the increase of risk of uh, cardiovascular disease. So, this vicious cycle that starts the menopause transition. I will try to make it as simple as possible because even for me, I got confused when reading about this. It starts at the perimenopausal transition which can last between 2 to 8 years. The 5 to 10 years before menopause, 90% of women will experience variability in frequency and variability 
of their menstrual flows. The symptoms usually begin with the uh, shortening of menstrual cycle, which means shorter follicular phase, the making of that dominant follicle, that's what the phase is, which follows by unpredictable ovulation and lengthened menstrual cycle. Around 37 to 38 years of age, which is about 10 to 15 years before menstruation completely ceases, a woman will experience accelerated follicular loss that begins with 25,000 follicles, remember, each potentially can ovulate, to complete depletion of the follicles. The less you have follicles, which they create lots of estrogen for the positive LH surge, the less estrogen and the less negative feedback will occur, which will eventually start the FSH and LH rise, as we saw earlier. The loss of these follicles will start that subtle rise in FSH and decrease in inhibin, the hormone that suppresses FSH. FSH accelerates the follicular loss process and inhibin, since it is decreasing, disrupts the negative feedback system. Now, this is the part that gets vicious. Initially, there's a significant high level of FSH and later LH is high. Normally, inhibin is supposed to suppress FSH. Remember, FSH recruits, stimulates, and mature the ovarian follicles, so FSH accelerates the process of recruitment. If the process is accelerated, there is more ovulation, and the follicle reserve will eventually deplete faster, making the level of estrogen drop. However, during perimenopausal transition, the high FSH cause an increase in follicular recruitment, which are bad in quality and partially developed. The net effect is irregular ovulation, lower progesterone levels, and will deplete the follicle reserves. Now, due to an increase in recruitment and follicular development, this leads to an increase in estrogen, as follicles create lots of estrogens. Having lots of estrogen causes vasomotor symptoms, like hot flushes, and many other symptoms that a woman might experience during the hermenopausal transition. The cycle accelerates on itself until there's no more follicles to recruit. Figure 13 summarizes nicely the cycle towards the depletion of the follicle reserves. It is a vicious cycle that accelerates on itself to follicle depletion. So I'm pretty sure a lot of scientists out there in the world we're thinking of, can we slow and prevent menopause? And if so, what are the secondary side effects? A lot of is unknown. But this got me thinking, why do women go into a menopausal stage? Why can't they stay fertile for their whole lives? I think it is because the body is trying to help itself by not falling into pregnancy, as after 40 years of age, there is an increase in many genetic diseases, such as Down syndrome, and other complications that could be lethal. Maybe an increase in danger by becoming pregnant in an aging body could be the reason as pregnancy is a harsh and dangerous cycle. Remember that pregnancy does change many metabolic and physical state of the body. So can the body handle it at an older age? I don't know. So. Can we prevent or slow down menopause? 
we need to find a way to slow down the follicular recruitment and decrease the loss of follicles from its reserves. Hence, should we find a way for FSH to be suppressed? Maybe a monthly injection of inhibin? Menopause is a natural part of life and it should be ill-advised to start tempering the delicate balance of hormones in the body. Preventing or slowing down menopause is an interesting concept nonetheless. The treatment options are wiser in my opinion. We are treating the symptoms from the high levels of FSH and LH and the low levels of estrogen, inhibin and progesterone. Hormone replacement therapy such as treating the low level of estrogen side effects is generally the way to go. There are other options such as supplements, natural or herbal therapy, exercise and avoiding risks that could cause or exacerbate the symptoms would be ideal. Our treatment options are estrogen therapy. The benefits are treats effectively some symptoms such as hot flash, osteoporosis, genital atrophy, and possible mood disturbance, Alzheimer, colon cancer, osteoarthritis, tooth loss, and skin aging may also be decreased. However, there is no reduction in cardiovascular disease. Risks, increased risk of endometrial cancer unless combined with progestogen and they could be other potential serious side effects. Side effects, there could be an increase in breast cancer, heart attack, stroke, and blood clot particularly in long-term treatment and in older women, such as 65 years of age and above. Recommendation. Hormone therapy should be used wisely and only during perimenopausal stage to alleviate symptoms, particularly for hot flush. The shortest dose for the shortest amount of time is recommended. Raloxifen. What is raloxifen? It is a selective estrogen receptor modulator. It treats and prevents osteoporosis, positively alters the lipid ratio, alleviates heart flashes, reduces breast cancer, and does not stimulate endometrial proliferation. This could be a good medication and a wiser option. Natural Herbal Therapy If hormone therapy is not for you, there's always botanical, such as phytoestrogen from soybeans, chickpeas, and wild yam evening primrose oil, St. John's wort, and black cohosh can also be used. They may provide short-term alleviation for hot flushes, but has limited scientific proof and may interact with other medication. Be careful falling into fake and scam-looking pseudoscientific products that make ridiculous claims and may actually harm you as well as your wallet. How can a woman help herself? Well, for hot flushes, Avoid trigger factors and do regular exercises. Maybe have a plan of action whenever you get hot flushes and find the best way to reduce it. Ask how your mother managed to control her hot flushes. It's worth a shot. Sleep disturbance. Develop a sleep routine. Avoid caffeine or tea at night and start regular exercise. Having the body exercise helps in falling asleep faster compared to being immobile all day. Bone loss fracture. Avoid active lifestyle that may increase a fracture, such as roof building or other risky professions that could involve falling. Now I'm not saying you must not do exercise, just avoid some of those risks. Soft and cautious exercise can still be done. Calcium supplements, vitamin D from the sunshine or supplements, and fortified milk can be taken to help the bone formation. 
A regular check for bone minerals with the GP can be done. Most importantly, avoid falls or decrease risk that could cause them, such as add rails near the stairs, for example. Heart. Avoid smoking. Reduce risk factors such as excess weight, high fat diet, and do some exercise. So, there's a lot of things with exercise I've noticed. My final say, and I hope I haven't bored you with this long podcast, um, menopause is a natural process of life and should be embraced. The side effects due to the hormone level change can be alleviated by hormone therapy during the perimenopausal stage, but I believe a woman going through the transition is mostly about adapting to a better and healthier lifestyle. These are 1. Having a healthy eating habit. Eating vegetables and fruits are really important. Seriously, they are. That is where you get all your vitamins and minerals. 2. To have a planned exercise routine that is safe and customized for each person. 3. Avoid smoking, which has many other health benefits, believe it or not. 4. Limit alcohol intake. I do say limit. Drinking alcohol responsibly is reasonable and quite safe, actually. 5. Having regular pap smear and mammograms checks are always important. Do you have a regular check to investigate any cancerous growth? 6. Pelvic floor muscles exercise, such as Kegel exercise, invented by Dr. Henry Kegel, a gynecologist, is recommended to strengthen that deep and superficial muscle fascia. Having a strong pelvic floor will help in coping after giving birth, prolapse of the vagina wall or rectum, and helps in urinary incontinence. Not to mention, but also strengthening the vaginal wall, which your husband will thank you. 7. The use of vaginal lubricant can always be an alternative for your sex life. I hope this wasn't too long and that you have learned something about menopause today. Good luck to any woman entering the menopausal transition or perimenopausal and are coping in their own way. Thank you very much for listening to this session of the podcast subscribe if you want or share this podcast with anyone who is menopausal and would like to know everything about her hormones thank you and see you next time